I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. To episode 11 of Old Brother, a podcast about Salford slash Manchester's legendary musical institution, The Fall. Every week we invite on a guest to chat about their experiences and memories of the group. You can find us at Spotify, Apple and all the usual suspects. We're actually hosted at play.acast.com forward slash s forward slash Old Brother. All episodes are also available on YouTube. You can search for Old Brother Podcast and subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. This week we're joined by founder member of the Blue Orchids, The Fates, Poppycock and of course The Fall, Una Baines. Hope you enjoy it. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Old Brother, a podcast about the fall, starring me, Paul Anley, and my ever-brilliant brother, Stephen. Uh, played bass in the fall for 73 years, I think, is what he said last time. <laughs> um, I like it. Yeah, so <laughs> and we're very lucky to be joined today. You what? We are lucky. Yeah, we are. Yeah, to be joined. I'm just agreeing with you. Yeah, well, let me get, let me say something before you agree with me. Halfway through a sentence, um, we're very lucky, as Steve will uh, attribute. Uh, we're lucky to be joined by Una Baines, for founding member of the Fall and the Blue Orchids, and the Fates, and various other bands which we'll talk about. But uh, good afternoon, Una, how are you? Hiya. Hello. Hi, Paul. Hi, Steve. Uh, Hi. You well? Yeah, I'm not bad, thanks. Yes, okay. So uh, we're going to go back, if you'll pardon the expression, which I believe is a fall lyric. Um, Back in time. It is. Correct. The first thing I was going to ask you about was pre the fall, and we talked to Martin about this. So you were kind of a gang, really, weren't you? You four. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, we were all mates. Yeah. Yeah, you wouldn't have called them a gang, would? Well, not in, <laughs> <laughs> not in a troublemaker sense, no. 
<laughs> I don't think we referred to ourselves as a gang. But, uh... <laughs> so did um, Martin and Tony uh, meet you through Mark? Is that right? Yeah, well, how we met them was because we were listening to records at Mark's and Mark's sisters brought Martin and Tony home. So that's how we met them. Ah. Uh-huh. I think mm-hmm. I think Barbara was going out with Tony. Um, yeah, and that's how we met them. And Tony and Mark struck up um, a kind of very competitive conversation about music right. almost immediately. And that's how I remember it. Okay. Because you, you came pretty close pretty quickly then, didn't you? As, or certainly musically. The, the, that's the impression I get anyway. Uh, well, yeah, we were all kind of into the same music, more or less. Yeah. I mean, I was into T-Rex and Martin was. Mark wasn't very keen. But uh, we were all into the Velvets and the Stooges. So yeah. that was a common, a kind of a common thing. But we were listening to all sorts of music. And what about Tony? Was he the same? Yeah, he was really into Jethro Tull at that time, right at the beginning. <laughs> um, uh, when we spoke to Martin, and it's it's in all the books, that the thing that turned it from talking about music into actually thinking you could form a band was the Sex Pistols. Is that true for you as well? Um, I think Mark had already thought about having a band. You know, well, when I first met him, he talked about having a band. Well, it was years before, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. He always, he always. I think, did. I think that's the, that's the thing, isn't it? We all talked about it, but yeah, seeing them kind of. Yeah, it was a big inspiration. Made you think you you could do it for yourself, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Because I think the Sex Pistols really got rid of that separation between the band and the audience. Yeah. <laughs> Um, well, that's, uh, I mean, that, that's what everybody says. I mean, that's what Pete Shelley and our Devoto say, that they were kind of given the impetus to do it. It seems to be what everybody says, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. And I remember seeing them, I think it might have been, I'm not sure if it's the Electric Circus, um, but I remember John Lydon sat on the stage just chatting to people like it was really, like, normal. And that's the fresh air. I don't think you'd have got that at a Jethro Tull concert, would you? Possibly not, but I've never seen them myself, so I don't know. <laughs> Him sat there in his codpiece with his flute. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's, that's a revelation to me. <laughs> Is it tr- true you were going to be the drummer at first? Uh, yeah. Yeah, but, um, you know, it was... You know, money was tight, really. I was working at uh, Presswich Hospital, and it wasn't yeah. a, a massive wage. Um, and drum kits are quite expensive. That's exactly what happened to me. Really? <laughs> I wasn't working at Presswich Hospital, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, it, was a, it was a choice between buying a drum kit or a motorbike, and I went for the motorbike. Right. Okay. So then I ended up getting the bass was a lot cheaper. All right. <laughs> it's well, things turn out in yeah. <laughs> I mean, having said that, you, you must have gone for that Snoopy electric piano can't have been the most expensive instrument in the world, can it? No. When, when, I, when I bought that, 
the next week in sounds because sounds used to review keyboards and it got slated as one of the worst sounding keyboards it was a very tinny sound and uh, i think it only had about three sounds on it and one was like a fairground sort of sound that i really loved and uh, this very thin piano sound. I don't remember the other sound on it. I'm yeah. Not sure. uh, by the time I inherited it, it had one sound, one very thin piano sound. Oh, really? Have you ever yeah. broke? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it lasted a while. I think I got rid of it in 83. Right. So that's six years for that electric piano. It's not bad. It did really well. <laughs> I've, got, I've got a feeling there was two of them. What's Mark had one? Yeah. Not Riley. But uh, he took that with him when he left, and I got back with the old one. Okay. All right. <laughs> Piece of junk by then. Oh, I thought it might possibly have been stashed at Mark's, actually. I was hoping they might get it back. Well, it might still be there now, yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, it was kind of your signature sound, really, for all we're taking the mickey out of it. That fall, that keyboard sound was kind of informed the fall sound, didn't it? Well, the kind of tinny... Yeah, it, well, it was kind of... It worked for the fall, didn't it? Yeah. You know, especially with things like uh, industrial estate, that kind of clanky... Yeah, it, it made it a lot less um, like a sort of punk thing, didn't it? And made it a bit more, what the hell's this? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's a good way of looking at it. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, you, I believe you, you didn't have it in time for the first gig, is that right? No, I was in the audience at the at the first gig. I think my first gig was Stuff the Jubilee at the uh, Squat. 3rd of June 1977, my uh, notes tell me. All right, was that when it was? Apparently, yeah. Yeah, so that was a good gig. The squat, was it? The squat, yeah, I think so. I think that was my first gig. I played God Save the Queen with um, a fuzz box. Oh, very nice. I was trying to do Jimi Hendrix, so it all explosions when you played God Save the Queen. And then somebody said, get on with it. So that that will have been a lot of the stuff that was on the first album, wasn't it? And and the first EP you were playing then, was it? Yeah, yeah, the first. Yeah, we were doing it's like things like Frightened, um, Race Hatred was a song that I don't think ever got recorded, which was very powerful. Um, what else would we? Oh, Your Heart Out. Your Heart Out. Wow. Yeah, yeah we. Played I didn't know that, that was that early. Was it the same tune or? Oh, I don't know. Blimey. He never, he never let words go, did he? No, I mean, we played that for uh, Elvis on the night. Elvis died. Wow. Your Where did you out. play then, that night? Oh, you know, everybody else will know better than me what gigs we went. <laughs> well, it won't have been the Electric Circus. No, it because, wasn't. I know that because... It definitely wasn't the Electric Circus. Buscock signed to United Artists at the Electric Circus the day Elvis mm. died, so... Uh, busy day in Manchester, obviously. Well, Mark got into it. Uh, Mark wasn't really an Elvis fan. It was me who was an Elvis fan. And uh, I think he kind of dismissed him as, you know, because it was his white suit era. 
Right. But I think then when he heard his early stuff, like the Sun Sun Studio stuff, he really got into him. Yeah? Yeah. Because you, you forget these days that... Because well, you can listen to everything now. It was really hard to get hold of some of that stuff, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Yeah? Well, we had rare records, didn't we, in town at that time? Oh, yes. <laughs> Where was rare, Was that right behind Rotters? Oh, that was I Yanks, think it was wasn't on it? High. Was it? Rare high? Records was... Was it High Street? <sighs> wasn't it near Pips there, at the... Oh. At the cathedral, somewhere yeah, around there. Yeah, it was somewhere around there. Yeah, it was. Yeah, because yeah, us school kids used to go in and get things like, you know, Sam the Sham and the Pharaohs, Wooly Bully, stuff like that that you couldn't get at the regular record shops. No. It was all, um, what's it, wasn't it? It was all Mike Oldfield at Virgin. No, was it? <laughs> Virgin was kind of a... It wasn't quite the same. It was like a mega store then, was it? Virgin, where was Virgin? Was that on Newton Street? Yeah, Newton Street, wasn't it? No. Oh, was it? On Market Street? No, I think it was somewhere else before it was on Market Street. Market Street, right. No, it's just a tiny little shop. Yeah. Them listening booths. Yeah. I've got a vague memory of that. They were great listening booths. Oh, yeah, you could go in with with headphones, couldn't you? Yeah. Mm. Oh, yeah. And there was lots of uh, adverts for people looking for bands and looking for band members yeah. on the wall, all over the wall. Yeah, yeah. Is that what, maybe that's where they put the advert for Yvonne. Possibly. <laughs> so, but hang on, we're moving too far ahead here. You've not played the electric... So, the first thing you were on was Short Circuit, Live Electric Circus. So that, you were on that, weren't you? Yeah. You did two tracks on there. <laughs> Uh, what uh, did we do, Last Orders and Stepping Out? I think it was, yeah. I don't know why I'm saying I think it was. I know full well it was. I, I, yeah, I wore, wore my copy out. Yeah. That was great, though. I bought that on the day it came out and took it round to Mark's, and he didn't have a copy. Why? Well, I mean, right. <laughs> but it, it come out a while after... The end, I presume it was a while after the end of the Electric Circus. It took a while to come out, did it? Yeah. And then I believe the next thing was um, Buscox and um, Richard Boone paid for you to do the Bingo Masters EP. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Because it was at the same place. That was at Indigo. What was that like, Indigo Studios? Yeah, it's a funny thing for me to remember that because I was actually starting to get quite ill at that point in time. Oh, blimey. So my memories are, um, are all a bit... Bit skewed right. with, but I do remember being really excited that we were doing yeah. a recording. Um, but I don't remember much else about it to be quite honest. Indeed. I mean, it was quite a big thing to go in the studio in them it days, was. wasn't it? It was, and um, yeah, it was brilliant of Richard Boone to support us doing that. Yeah, I mean, they, they helped everybody out, didn't they? I think. <laughs> Yeah, they were brilliant. I mean, they gave us a lot of breaks. We did a lot of gigs with Buscocks. Yeah. I don't think they get quite the credit they deserve. I mean, they get a fair bit of credit, but they were really instrumental in building that scene up, weren't they? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. with driving in as well. Yeah? Yeah, New Hormones was a yeah. you know, really important label in Manchester. Mm-hmm. So, without being indelicate, was it the fact that you were getting ill, was that the reason you left? Yeah, it was. Right. It was. Uh, I'd started learning um, the new stuff for Witch Trials, and I just couldn't. I just couldn't do it. 
um, half learned most of the new stuff, and obviously I knew all the old stuff, like Frightened yeah. and everything, but I literally just couldn't do it, and I had to leave. Oh, dear. And I really didn't want to, and I used to listen to The Fall all the time on John Peel for the next yeah. year. That must have been difficult, yeah, to be out of that when it was just kind of taking off. Yeah, it, it was. And then I actually went to see Press, um, The Fall at Presswich when um, they played for the staff at Presswich Hospital. Oh, I was at that, yeah. Oh, were you? I was, yeah. Ah. Yeah. I, I think I remember meeting you the first... That may have been the first time at King's Hall. All right. When The Fall played. Were they headlining? No, no, in Bellevue. Were, were they not supporting? Oh, yeah. Were they not supporting public image? Were they not? Oh. No, not, not me. I'm, I'm going to get in trouble for this. <laughs> you will. The fall obsesses will be telling you off. <laughs> Was it Buscox at King's Hall? Possibly. Maybe, yeah. Probably. Yeah. Well, they are again. All right, somebody will ring in and tell you. Well, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure they will. <laughs> So then, by the time you got to join there uh, to start the Blue Orchids, you were a bit better then, I presume, were you? Yeah, I was. I was kind of off the planet for about a year. I mean, right. Uh, we're kind of skipping over here where you joined Staff Nine for a bit. Oh, we are actually. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because you know I used to carry that keyboard, Snoopy, on two buses. Yeah. To rehearse with you in that garage, in that in that garage in Stratford, yeah. (laughs) And then I'd get there, we'd rehearse for about half an hour, and then I'll go to the pub. (laughs) That sounds about right. (laughs) About right, yeah. (laughs) What 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 kept you rehearsing that long? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but um, at that time I didn't. I knew I was getting ill, but it's like I could fake that I was okay. You know, I carried that off for as long as I possibly could. And then, I mean, and Eric, when Eric joined the fall, he used to ring me up and say, come on, Una, just one more gig, you know. And I'd go, yeah. okay. And then I'd do it. And then we did one in London at uh, that place near Buckingham Palace. The ICA? That's it. That's the one. And I had a weird, what what would you call, not a hallucination, but it's like people's lives were on the line, you know, like John Lydon and my life, and there was going to be this big explosion, and it was all, you know, things were going to kick off. And uh, I couldn't play a note. I just had... I was just touching the notes with my finger, not knowing what I was doing. And the funny thing is, it got a really great review. People thought that was all part of the act. Ooh. (laughs) I mean, you you can laugh about it now, but it must have been terrifying at the time. Well, it was, but I can definitely laugh about it now because some of it was really funny. (laughs) Genuinely was. (laughs) So how how were the rest of the group with you? Were they understanding or were they kind of... I think people didn't know what to do and, and people didn't really know how ill I was either. It's a hard thing to understand what's... I mean, I'd never had a breakdown before. And, no. And, you know, I mean, I'd worked at Presswich Hospital, but I really wasn't working with people who were having breakdowns. Mainly it was, like, elderly women who had nowhere else to go. They, they weren't really mentally ill. Well, they probably would have to have been impressed at hospital, but, yeah. you know, they were just elderly people who had been drugged up. So I'd, I wouldn't have known how to respond to somebody having a breakdown. And, it's... and the uh, bands aren't the most understanding about stuff like that, really, are they? Well, it's like, people, well, 
you know, it's like any any work, isn't it? You want to, your work to carry on. You know, you want to. Yeah. You know, if you lose the momentum in music, it can be the death knell for a band. Yes, it wasn't. It must have been because I don't think people quite understood it the same then, did they? I think you'd have a bit more sympathy these days. Well, you'd like to think so, wouldn't you? Well, yeah, I think that. I mean, I always wanted to speak speak about it because I didn't. I wanted it to come from me and not from. Chinese whispers, if you know yes. what I mean. So it's something I'd like to write about because there are some really hilarious incidents along with the difficult things. So yeah, yeah, it'd be good to get it out. I think that taboo needs breaking down because so many people suffer from mental health issues and um, you know and and become very isolated and don't have a voice. Yes, yeah. no, that would that would be an amazing thing to write about. You should do it, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I do want to do that. I've always wanted to do that. I've always wanted to write an expose on Presswich Hospital. Really? Yeah, because um, when I worked there, all I could do when I came home was go to the pub and drink and talk about Presswich Hospital nonstop. Yeah, what was going on there, you know, and um, and there wasn't a lot you could do, you know. You, you know, you could be, you know, caring and, and towards people, but you, the regime was in place and you couldn't yeah. change it. You couldn't change it. The teachers used to sort of send you out there like you were going to, but they said you can't come back to us. In other words, you go out there as a student nurse, you try to change something, you've got no backup. Right. So it was a, you couldn't do it. And after a couple of years, I mean... It, to be quite honest, it affects you. It affects you. You can't do a job in that type of an institution for too long before it really damages you. Yeah. Unfortunately, the fall was happening, and I made a very difficult choice at one point that I couldn't do both things. Yeah. And um, you know, and I, and I thought it was great doing uh, doing the fall because we were putting some of those things into the. Matt was putting them into the lyrics, like repetition. Yes. I mean, I wasn't around when Roche Rumble came out, but I was so excited when that song came out. I thought it was brilliant. Yeah. So, yeah, it was great. It's like another way of getting it out. Uh-huh. A great it... release, really. Yeah. Well, you did some lyric writing in the fall as well, didn't you? Yeah, not a lot. You did Dresden Dolls was one of yours, I believe. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and Tony wrote the music for that. Right. Um, it's pity we didn't develop it a bit more because it had a bit of a Spanish twist to it. Right. And uh, that doesn't really come out. Great song, yeah. Yeah, it could, you know, mm-hmm. it could have been more developed. The guitar was brilliant on it. I just loved it. And and did it have an effect on you the way the band was going? Did, were you not happy with that as well? <laughs> oh, you mean, ah, I know what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> well, Must have had an effect, I think. Well, I think what happened, I mean, it was a really weird time because everything was speeding up. The fall were becoming very respected and popular. Um, but me and Mark were, were drifting apart. We were splitting up. But we'd never say to each other that we were splitting up. Um, and just to correct something Martin said, we weren't in an open relationship. We never. De- well, he obviously thought we were. <laughs> well, we we never decided we were in an open. We just couldn't. It was like we couldn't tell each other that's it. It's over. We just. It just happened. And then when Mark told me he had feelings for somebody else, that's when I knew it was finally over. Right. That, that wasn't. Right. K, that wasn't K, by the way. But I'm not going to reveal who it was. 
Okay. Fair enough. So it wasn't a very healthy um, situation at all, really, was it? It was a crazy situation. Oh, and the other thing I want to correct is Kay was not my best friend at the okay. hospital. <laughs> she was, she was a, a mu- I had a mutual friend who had a friend, which was Kay, yeah. needed somewhere to live because she'd split up from a partner who was uh, one of the senior nurses at the hospital. And uh, I had a, a room, so I offered her a room. I hadn't met her, um, but I was introduced to her by this friend and I offered her a room. So that's what happened. Right. She was a year ahead of me in their nursing. So we never worked together. You know, that's a bit of a myth. We weren't best buddies right. to work together at the hospital. But on saying that, I mean, you know, we did get become friends. Yes. And she introduced me to the tarot, which is something that I really value. Not that I believe in fortune telling, because I don't. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's a useful kind of tool, like you could use it in a way like counselling, because it's like yeah. imagery. And it gets people to talk about stuff yeah. in an easier way because you're looking at these symbols and like, like sort of Rorschach kind of thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's quite it's quite the symbolism in it, it's quite uh it's like a universal language really. And it yeah. goes back a long way. Nobody really knows where the roots of it come from. But it's a very right. It's a very developed system, and it's it, it fits into a mathematical framework and all different sort of astrological framework, all different things. I just find it quite fascinating. Yeah, that's it, really. Yeah. So she did. Well, I suppose that. it, I suppose it uh, gets tarnished with that fortune teller <laughs> yeah, nonsense. I suppose, doesn't I think, it? I think that's. I think I really, really think it's bullshit. The whole fortune telling stuff. And yeah. I think it's. Real, it's people who are very good at manipulating, or very good at reading people. You know, yeah. reading the body language or whatever, yeah. and then they can say very general things, and, and people go, "Oh yeah, that's yeah, that's spot on." You know. Yeah. <laughs> see, when you see I'm an Aquarius, we don't believe in any of that horoscope nonsense either. No, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it's an old joke, but like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, um, the blue orchids. I wanted to ask you about. Ah, uh, yeah. Well, um, when I started recovering from my breakdown, and me and Martin started seeing each other, and I got well again, and we got a flat. Yeah. And because the breakdown had been quite profound, it was like. It was like nothing could hurt me after that. It's like nothing could touch me. It's hard to explain, but that's what it felt like. Yeah. And uh, Martin had missed a couple of rehearsals. One was to take me to the doctor because I'd I'd developed asthma and I had right. a very bad asthma attack. And he took me to the doctor. And the other one was he was bodyguard for Iggy Pop at a gig at the ranch bar in Manerick. And I was sleeping. I slept a lot because I'd not slept for nearly a year. You know, really yeah. not slept, very uh, high-wired or whatever you'd call it. And I couldn't come down and I couldn't relax, you know. So yeah. when I got better, all I wanted to do was sleep all the time. So one afternoon, I'd arranged to go with Eric's partner, Jane, to go and see Iggy Pop at the 
at the ranch and um not the ranch, the Russell. And yeah. um and I heard a knock on the door and I went downstairs and opened the door and it was Kay. Really kind of ag- angry and she came upstairs and kind of uh, and I was going, Oh sit down, would you like a brew and all that she sort of laid into me and kind of said you know Martin's mystery Ursel's because of you and he's done this because of you and I said actually he's like working for Ellen Wise and he's like a bodyguard for Iggy Pop who's been his idol since he was like a teenager Yeah. and she was just not having it really she was furious and it meant nothing to me it was like water off a duck's back it was yeah. like nothing that could have touched me at that time it's like no mm-hmm. I'm just coming through this thing now Yeah. <laughs> so not affecting me it was just weird anyway so but that was the day martin left well it is and the thing is you know when i told him what she'd done what had happened and he said that's it i've had enough i'm leaving and i really do i said don't do not leave because they're going to blame me that's what's going to happen but anyway what anyway he did in the end he did i think he said he'd had enough anyway of the way the way it's becoming a bit of a dictatorship and, you know... Yeah. What I've... That was very different to how you started out, really, wasn't it? Well, really different. It was like, in a way, uh, it was like, they were like the mum and dad and everybody else was like a bunch of kids. It was that Yeah, I, I was that little kid. <laughs> 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 That's actually what it was like for us, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> were you talking about, like, with Mark? He was, like, the same age. Yeah. You know, but she was 10 years older. And I also used to wonder what it'd be like to be 29, because in a way to me, Kay reminded me of 29 going on about 69, the way she kind of went on. It was like a very, I don't know, it was something very old-fashioned, is it Northern Lancashire or something? Yeah. You know, I'm not trying to be insulting, but it was a certain type of a character yeah, and it was very different to what we'd been used to, you know. Um, yeah, which was we weren't used to anything because we didn't have a manager, and we, you know, we just made decisions mutually. I don't even know how we made decisions, really. So, but anyway, yeah. <clears throat> anyway, I mean, she obviously did a lot of great things for the band afterwards. So, yeah, you know, what can I say? It's like that, that was the next phase. I was going to ask you about that, but you know. Um... You know, it's sliding doors kind of a moment. How would that that original lineup have gone on? Would they have gone on to great things, or would it fizzled out? Or because sometimes you need somebody who's not, you know, who's not just drifting along, don't you? I suppose. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I didn't believe in managers. Um, we were, we were very idealistic, and yeah. I don't know if that was sustainable. You know. Um, yeah. You know, we were very young. I think it's like partly to do with how young we were, you know, yeah. and, what, and what you're going through at that age. And I think, you know, yeah, it's difficult to say. I mean, it is what it is, isn't it? It evolved into what it became. Yeah. It carried on with its many evolutions over time. But it, it's amazing the difference, though, isn't it? In, in, between what the band was when you were in them and then like, even like three years later, it was a completely different band, really, it was. wasn't it? It was, yeah. And it and it was obviously more sustainable. Yeah, that big change for me is the 
once you start the keyboard in the Blue Orchids were completely different from the fall, weren't they? I mean, they, they still informed the sound, but it was a bit more epic, really, wasn't it, what you played in them? Because I think it felt to me like a completely new beginning. And, yeah. and it gave me a real chance to develop musically yeah. and to try lots of new things. It was like, that for me, on a musical level, it was it was just an amazing exploration of, of different things. Yeah. Uh, that's no criticism of the fall, because that was the beginning yeah. for me. And it was very simple. I played single notes or two or three chords. Yeah. Maybe four max. Whereas I was learning to play melodies and things like that in the Blue Orchid. Yeah. It was a whole different different thing altogether. So what was that like then, coming back and playing again? Did it feel a bit better by that stage, I presume? Did it feel more comfortable? Yeah, it did. I felt like I had lots of room to kind of grow and experiment. So how long how long were you with them then, Blue Orchid? You were there for quite a while, weren't you? So I think it was at 86. Yeah. I mean, there had been some gaps as well, but... Um... Yeah. So why, why, did, why did that come to an end, do you think? Well, me and Martin came to an end. Ah, right, okay. <laughs> that explains that then. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, so it was the band and and Martin and lots of other really difficult things going on in my life at that time. Right. Then you kind of stepped away for a while, did you? Well, no, just as the Blue Orchids were splitting up, I told Jeff Travis that I had an album that I wanted to record and that it was exactly like the Blue Orchids. Right. So he gave me a very small budget and that's when I did the Furia album. Right, okay. <laughs> I was going to ask about that because that really, really couldn't be any more different to the folk, could it? That's kind of almost like folk, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. It's like a kind of folky-type, gothy-type album. Yeah. But... um. While I was in the Blue Orchids, I was also in a women's band called Beyond the Glass. Right. They did a lot of... I mean, it was all original material. They all wrote different songs. Um, a lot of it was very soul and, I don't know, soul and funk. Right. It was great learning, like, just different way. And we did, you know, Van Morrison's uh, Moon Dance. Oh, Yeah. Uh, you know, we did a few, and it was a lot of women with amazing voices, mainly one family, right. who, who were just so talented, and they're still kind of all their all their daughters and grandchildren and all the boys as well. That are, well, the men now play guitars and bass and drums and sing. It's like right. this big kind of musical right. dynasty, really. So yeah. the fates was. A lot of that family, plus other musicians that I knew, <clears throat> and it was only half written when we went in the studio. And it was actually Tony Friel's studio, right in Old Trafford. Okay. He recorded that. He did loads of it for free, and um, yeah, his partner Lynn was involved in it, and she sang with us and played percussion and stuff. But it was a kind of a, it was half written, so the rest of it was made up in the studio. And uh, I'd just make a big pan of stew. And <laughs> 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 we were drinking, like, herb teas and stuff and made this album. Right. Because some of the singing on that is the harmonies and things. are amazing, aren't they? Yeah, the really beautiful voices. And I'm still working with some of those people. Right. And, right. Uh, some of the 
some of the blue. Can people get this then? What new stuff? Or they'd be on the glass stuff. They'd be on the glass. Well, you can't. But Janet, who's also um, an engin- uh, a really brilliant engineer, um, has got all their tapes and stuff. So uh, I'm sure she'd be glad for this bit of publicity. Right. Because you know I've been really some of it is so brilliant. It should be, uh, you know, it should be released. Yeah, well, because that that Fates album was really well received, wasn't it? And what, you reissued that, didn't it you? It wasn't. It was. It's well received on the reissue. Yeah. It wasn't well yeah. received when it came out at all. <laughs> no. But you it, put that out yourself, didn't you? Yeah, because uh, Rough Trade didn't think it was good enough. Right. So it came out on Taboo Records. Yeah, they were too busy with the Smiths then, weren't they? Well, yeah, they were always too busy with the Smiths. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's a, the one-line review of Rough Trade. Always too busy with the Smiths. <laughs> um, Brilliant. So yeah, how did you come to do that comic then? You're not even talking about writing. How did you end up with that comic about you and Mark? Well, funnily enough, it was uh, this couple from Australia... I needed somewhere to stay, so I put them up at my house. It turned out the guy, Keith McDougall, was yeah. a massive Fall fan, and he was a comic artist. Right. Um, so, I mean, because I've been thinking about doing a book for years, and people yes. keep telling me do a book, and I've been, you know, writing bits and bobs over the years, but I thought it'd be interesting to do a comic. Yeah. Um. You know, something quite short and concise. And also, I wanted to write something pre the fall. Yeah. Because that time before the fall, for me, was was a pretty special because there was no madness going on in the land. Yeah. It was peaceful. It felt like time went on forever, like you do when you're 16, and it's yeah, like yeah. the six weeks holidays feel like they go on forever, you know, and all that yeah. kind of thing. So, yeah, I wanted to capture that, really, um, and also the, you know, kind of acid experience. Yeah. I wanted to encapsulate that, and, you know, all the different political things that were going around at the time, because it was... It was a very interesting place in Manchester in the early 70s. I mean, the women's movement was really big. People were not really big in it, as in publicly, but there were lots of small groups where women were learning about what was going on in different countries to women, what sort of politics were shaping women's lives or restricting them or stopping them from having access to things. Mm-hmm. Uh, not that a lot. I mean, it has changed a bit, but it's not. I mean, look at what's happening in Afghanistan now. Yeah. And um, it's horrible, isn't it? And it's it's like, but we have made some headways, like, because in the early 70s, we didn't have rape crisis centres. We didn't have women's refuges. I mean, women were fighting to create those things then, and they did create them. Yeah. And it's really important that they they exist and that they happened and it was all that mixture of, of of politics and music and you know the punk thing came along and yeah it was like a real outburst of all of those ideas all of those feelings everything that young people were going through just came out in one big burst of energy that's how i yeah how i experienced it yeah and it was over very quickly 
really. I'd say, what, a year, 18 months before yeah. it become a bit hijacked and, you know, and it evolved, what, or it evolved into something else, which is what happens, isn't it? Yeah. Things keep mm-hmm. evolving and changing. So, uh yeah, I think I think the the canny people moved on pretty quickly, didn't they? I think, and it was you ended up with that kind of second generation of punk bands, which weren't really up to much. But the the first lot weren't really and you, the fall included. And you, they weren't like people think punks are, do they? No, not at all. No, no, definitely not. I think that was just a short lived, very short lived thing, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, and it became a cliche very. Doing pretty quickly. Yeah, and the media are very good at doing that as well, though, aren't they? And reducing yeah. important things that happen. Because if you remember, the Sex Pistols were banned. Yeah. They were actually banned because they were going to corrupt the nation, you know. And well, they were going to corrupt what? A nation that's already totally corrupt. Yeah. Um. Yeah, but it's it's astonishing to think they were actually banned from playing. I know. I mean, I often think, you know, this this film of uh, that. Presbyterian minister outside a Sex Pistols gig going on about, you know, how bad it is and what did they think was going on in there? It's only a band playing some songs. Yeah, well, they were anti-establishment songs, weren't they? So yeah. the threat. I remember when I first heard Anarchy in the UK on the radio and really thinking this is the beginning of a really important revolution in this country. Mm-hmm. It was so exciting. Yeah. You never thought it'd be allowed, you know, to hear it on the radio. Yeah, I mean, if people forget just how I don't know uh, astonishing they were, the Sex Pistols really. People didn't know what to do with it, did they? No, no, not at all. That was it. They were totally taken by surprise, weren't they? Yeah. So, after, oh, there was one thing I wanted to ask you before we wrap up. What was it like working with Nico then? Oh, did you do your backing band for a while? Oh, oh, it was. Well, I mean, I've loved Nico since yeah. the first murder, since I was like 16 when yeah. I listened to the first Velvet Underground and then listened to all the solo stuff, and I uh, just thought she was amazing. Yeah. And I couldn't believe it that I got to work with her. It was incredible. And even oh, she, she difficult to work with? I, f- I didn't find her difficult to work with no. at all. Um I don't know if it, if she became difficult later on. I don't know, you know, because we left at one point. We left because it got a bit hair raising going through customs with her. She will insist on bringing back that cooked meat from Germany, won't she? You know, we had a baby daughter at home. You know, so. Yeah. Uh, but you know, she. I mean, no matter what was going on in her life. She always did a professional gig. Yeah. She's a real trooper. And I just think she's an incredible artist. I think her lyrics are astonishing, seeing as English isn't even a first language. Yeah. You know, Janice of Lunacy. Who, who makes up a title like that? I mean, it's, <laughs> it's amazing. Um, yeah, her lyrics are just a whole music. I mean, we used to all be listening to Nico when we were when we were young in Mark's front room, you know, yeah. Tripping, yeah. listening to, uh, what was that one with the, in Egypt? Desert Shore. Okay. Strange lyrics, you couldn't understand some of them, but, um, yeah, just amazing stuff. It's amazing that she, to think, you know, when you you listen to the Railway Underground, 
and that she'd end up living in Manchester and you'd end up working with her. That's unbelievable, isn't it? Yeah, and that she was walking down King's Road, which Mark's parents' house was just off King's Road. Yeah. She was mm. flat there. It's, yeah. like, it's like bumping into Jim Morrison in the, in the co-op, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it is, really. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I met her at Rafters. It's Ellen White. So did we, didn't we? We couldn't believe it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. God, yeah, it's just amazing. I love it. She used to let me um, sound check her keyboards. Blimey. That Patty Smith had bought her. So now, that's like... too many name drops in one sentence, that, Una. We're going to have to fine you for that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. So, I was like a little kid in the sweet shop, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, what are you up to now then? Are you still playing with Poppycock? Yeah, um, we've got our album nearly finished. Um, most Brilliant. of it's been mastered as we speak. We're going to go into Noise Boy Studio uh, the beginning of September uh, to record one track. And then I think that's had a few more vocals, and I think that's going to be it. It's took a long time, but yeah. it's been a big, long journey with, with uh, Poppycock. Uh, yeah. I never knew how hard it was to put a band together, really. I mean, because with the fall, we all joined at the same time, so that yeah. that makes a massive difference. This was completely different. Right. Um, but I want to say thank you very much for inviting me on the big midweek launch. Oh, that was great, wasn't it? I, I really enjoyed that. It was what, what a brilliant night. I just loved that. That was a great night, wasn't it? And getting to play on fall songs that I never dreamt I'd get to play on in a million years. Yeah. It was amazing. Well, no, um, I never thought I'd end up playing with the, you know, the original keyboard player of the falls, so you did a fall <laughs> favour. We came full circle that night. Yeah, that was <laughs> You know, yeah... You did all them rehearsals with Staff Nine. We didn't do any Staff Nine songs, though, did we? <laughs> oh, that's <No>. true. <laughs> <laughs> well, you couldn't do them without Craig, could you? No. <laughs> did we do there, one called Popstock? It was. Yeah. And then Matt changed it to Chuckstock. Right, that was... Yeah. That's yeah. the only surviving Staff Nine song. All right, yeah. I don't remember... I'd, I'd probably remember the titles if I, you know, heard them. I'd right. remember them. Hey, oh, I used them all again in four songs, anyway. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> A few times. <laughs> no riff, no, never knowingly wasted. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, I think that's about it. Um, when's it coming out, the album, then? Is it coming out on vinyl, or is it just I want uh, it to download come out kind on of vinyl. thing? No, I definitely want it to come out on vinyl. Um, I'm hoping it comes out next spring, but I've got to see who wants to release it first. Yeah. So when it's finished, I'll send it to people and see what they think. Okay. And you're back playing live again? <laughs> yeah. It, well, we should have been playing at... Um, What's it, Kendall calling? But it got cancelled. Oh yeah, yeah. So we booked we, we booked again for next year. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think Hopefully we're on next year we're back to normal. Oh god, who knows? You know, but um, we're at, uh, Too long. We're supposed to be at the night and day early next year. Right. And that's well, all touch wood that takes time. place. Yeah, absolutely.
Thanks for joining us this week on Old Brother. Episodes are released every second Friday, so watch for episode 12 in two weeks' time. Please follow us on Twitter, at Old Brother Show, where you can find a link to Spotify. You can also subscribe via iTunes, Stitcher or RSS, so you'll never have to miss an episode. While you're at it, give us a rating on iTunes or tell your friends about us. For further reading, you can check out our books about the fall, The Big Midweek and Have a Bleeding Guess, available from Root Publishers and all good bookstores. Hope to speak to you all again soon, and remember, if you're driving, take your car. Ta-ra! Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy, Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.